0: Amen. Thank you, Chris. Cool. Well, good afternoon. I want to just add my welcome to that of Chris's earlier. If we haven't met before, or whether I see you regularly, I'm so glad that you're here this afternoon. If we haven't met, my name's Owen, and I have the privilege of being part of the leadership team here at Foundation Church. And we are beginning today a new series, which we've called Living the Good Life. Uh, and just a heads up as we start today, uh, if you're regular with us, you will know that our normal habit uh, in terms of preaching is that we will work our way through a passage of Scripture, kind of verse by verse, line by line, seek to understand what does God's word say to us and how does it apply to our lives today. And that, that is our usual habit and pattern because of all that Chris just said. So Jesus said, "I tell you the truth, because." His words were the words of God, and Scripture is God's word to us. And so when we read it, we have here the words of life. We have truth. Today, I'm not actually going to preach through a passage of Scripture, but I'm going to introduce this series. So we're going to open the Bible together. We are going to see what God's word says, but we're not going to be just rooted in one passage. So just just to give you a heads up. So if I talk for a minute before we open Scripture, don't freak out. Like I'm not just going to give you my ideas. Like I hope that what I will say this afternoon is thoroughly biblical. So we're beginning a new series, Living the Good Life. Now, I don't know about you, but I want the good life. And my guess is that you do too. <laughs> and that we will all have different ideas of what the good life is. But we know that Marketers and advertisers work hard to sell us the good life. And whether that's you're, you're more advanced in years and the good life is endless cruises uh, and collecting shells on, on gorgeous white sandy beaches, maybe that's the good life that advertisers want to sell you. Or maybe the good life to you is getting out partying every night of the week that would be the good life or maybe the good life uh, as, as you envision it and as advertisers would want to sell it to you is non-stop enjoyment of whatever hobby or activity it is you just want to move everything else out of the way so you can do that thing or maybe it's endless financial resource in order to buy whatever you think you need We all have our own vision of the good life. The life we've always dreamed of. We work towards it. We hope for it. We aspire to it. Maybe we even pray for it. But what if God has already laid out the path for the good life to us? What if he's given us instructions actually in his word for a fruitful and fulfilling existence. In the moral law given to Moses, recorded for our benefit, actually he's done just that. And and that's what we're going to look at over these next weeks together and it's why we've called this series Living the Good Life. Because God has done just that. And actually the psalmist understood that reality. We find in the Psalms over and over again this kind of delight in the law of God, the moral law. We we read things like this in Psalm 119, I love your commandments. Or in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing for the soul. I don't know whether that's how you view the law of God or not. Because unlike the Psalmist, I think we can be tempted and certainly popular culture would tell us that we should view the law with scepticism and apprehension as, as though it's dry and dull and will somehow take our freedom away from us rather than giving us the good life actually what it will do is suck the life out of us and leave us dry and boring and dull and without freedom But over the course of this series, my hope actually is that we will learn to see the law of God as the psalmist did. That we will learn to see it as beautiful, as delightful, as life-giving. That we'll, by the end of this series, be able to join the psalmist in declaring actually how grateful we are for the wonderful law of the Lord. In his kindness, our maker has laid out a path before us. He's told us and shown us in the personal work of Jesus how to live the good life. How to live a full and fulfilling life the way we were designed. I want to read, we're going to read together from Psalm chapter 1. Remember, this is the word of God. We read this in Psalm chapter 1, reading from from verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. That yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. It's the good life, isn't it? He yields fruit. Everything he does prospers. It's the life that advertisers are trying to sell us. But we read in Psalm 1, this is the experience, the true experience of someone who delights in the law of the lord blessed prospering bearing fruit by delighting in the law of the lord meditating on it allowing it to sink in and shape his life the implication living in accordance with it and the result is a full and fruitful life True freedom, I want to tell you today, true freedom actually is the good life living in accordance with God's design for us, actually living in accordance with God's law, with the teaching of scripture. Now, don't panic, we're not going to get into legalism, (laughs) alright? Just drop that in now. People can view this idea as oppressive or restrictive or legalistic. And right from the outset, humanity has shunned God's instructions and believed the lie that we know better than him what the good life looks like. You write back in Genesis at creation. You can go to Genesis 2. Adam and Eve have amazing freedom and liberty and dominion over all creation. The freedom to eat of the fruit of every tree bar one. God gives one one law to them. Everything. A restriction that God puts in place for their good. We can read from Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. God gives one instruction. One instruction actually for man's health and flourishing and longevity, that they might not die. But instead of trusting God and enjoying their God-given freedom, They believed the lie of Satan. And we read in Genesis 3 what happens. They believed the lie of Satan, that God didn't really love them, that he didn't really have their best interests at heart, that he was constricting or limiting their freedom. And so they did what people have been doing ever since. They rejected God's good design in pursuit of what they thought would be the good life without him. And they ate from that tree. It was a catastrophic mistake. But it's the mistake people have been making ever since. See, we can be inclined, every one of us, to believe that the good life is found in doing whatever we want, whenever we want, with whoever we want. And that any rule or boundary or restriction on that is inherently oppressive and unhealthy particularly 21st century western society would, would shout this from the rooftops we, the good life, true freedom is being able to do whatever we want whenever we want, with whoever we want and anyone who seeks to constrain or restrict that in any way is oppressive but if we stop to think about it for just a moment rationally, logically Biblically, we realize that's actually a very arrogant and short-sighted perspective. Let me illustrate it with a member of my family. When Reuben, our eldest son, was a toddler, and we've talked about this, he knows this story, it's okay. When he was a toddler, Reuben went through a phase of Desperately wanting, and we never got to the bottom of why, to run into the road. We'd we'd be walking along (laughs) as a family, and Reuben would... (laughs) And when we stopped him from doing that, we said, No, you you can't run into the road. It's not going to end well. Reuben would shout and cry. I mean, he was absolutely distraught. He was convinced, from his perspective, that, that what would make him happy... If I can put it this way, the good life from his toddler's perspective was to run into the road. He would get very, very upset with me when I stopped him. But as his father, I knew. I had a better perspective than him on it. I knew that if he ran into the road, which he desperately wanted to do, it was not going to end well for him. And in... very full and true way God is just like that with us he knows what's best for us and we can like Reuben want to run into the road so convinced that we know what will make us happy so convinced that God's holding out on us in that area no but surely I'm the exception Like, that would make me happy. I would feel fulfilled. I don't know what your equivalent to running in the road might be. I don't know all of you that well. But actually, I think you probably do. You will know where there's tension. You know what God's word says about something, you know what the Bible teaches but you just really want to do it. You're convinced that you know better than God, that He's holding out on you. Sometimes it's conscious and thought through, and other times for us it's more subtle than that. But I want to tell you today with the greatest respect, you're not the first to think it. (laughs) Adam and Eve beat you to it. And you won't be the last. And you're wrong. You're wrong. He's not holding out on you. He loves you. He knows what's best for you. And he has your best interests at heart. Reuben needed to trust that the rules I put in place were for his good, for his health, for his life. We need to trust God in the same way. can illustrate it another way augustine first century not first century sorry (laughs) early church father taught this he said that true freedom is not choice or lack of constraint but being what you're meant to be I said that again so augustine taught that true freedom is not choice to do whatever I want whenever I want with whoever I want or lack of constraint but true freedom is being what you are meant to be for example a train is only truly free when it's on the rails right? as soon as a train jumps tracks it's free of the rails But it's no longer free in the most important sense of the word. It's a freed wreck that can't go anywhere. Free, but but no longer free in any meaningful sense. Or a fish. A fish is free in the truest sense when it's living the way it was created, in water. (laughs) A fish that... Believed it would be better off out of the water without the constraint of. I, I want to dwell in all places, in the water and out of the water. It's my choice. I think that I'd, I would enjoy that more. A fish freed from water does not last long. And as humans, we were created in the image of God to reflect his glory and so to follow Augustine's logic and I think it's very biblical logic true freedom then for us is not found in moving away from that image but only in living it out the closer we conform to the image of God found in Jesus Christ the freer we become and the further we drift from it the more our freedom actually shrinks we become enslaved to all kinds of other things. To help us understand and enjoy the good life as God has designed us to live, to help us to enjoy our freedom, we're going to spend the next few weeks looking together at the Ten Commandments. And depending on your background or experience in the church, some of you might already be feeling a little bit apprehensive or uncomfortable about that. I know. You might be thinking, Owen, I don't know, like a series on the law? This sounds like legalism to me. Remember, Owen, we're saved by grace, not works. You know, that was maybe you've even heard people say things like this. Maybe this isn't you, I'm kind of pushing it slightly far perhaps. But you may have heard that was then in the Old Testament. Like that was for them then before Jesus came. We're past that now. Jesus came to free us. And now, Owen, you're wanting to give us rules again. We don't need that. Or maybe you are thinking, or you've heard, or you've even said, but Christianity is about relationship and not rules. Jesus has perfectly lived out the law so we don't have to. Or perhaps I knew this was coming. I I knew all that grace stuff was just too good to be true. When I became a Christian, people said Jesus had done everything for me and I could just come as I was and find forgiveness and freedom, but I knew there was a catch. I knew the do's and don'ts were coming, and now we're doing it, aren't we? Preach the Ten Commandments, it's the do's and don'ts. (laughs) And whilst all of those responses might be understandable... Actually, they all miss the point. It's my hope that a little bit today and over the course of the next few weeks, we'll see that the, the moral law, often called the Ten Commandments, or actually in the original Hebrew scripture, just the Ten Words, not only apply to us today, but are actually part of God's generous provision for us today. That we would see, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord some of you might still not be convinced (laughs) we're not actually going to read the Ten Commandments today we're going to do that over the coming weeks as we work through Although part of the reason we're not doing it is that I'm kind of interested how many of you actually know even what they say because I think Actually, the majority of Christians would get so far and then be like, I don't know. Like I've run out of steam. I don't know them. I hope that we're going to get to know them quite well over these next weeks and realise that actually they're a gift of a loving father for us as his children. I want to give some context as we continue to introduce the series. So we find the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. And what's happening at that point in history is that God's people have been freed by him from slavery in Egypt. I'm sure most of you know the story. God calls Moses and he says to Moses, Moses, you need to go back to Egypt. You need to go and speak to Pharaoh and say to him, let my people go. And Pharaoh says no, and God sends through Moses these series of plagues. And eventually Pharaoh releases them, and God's people are freed from slavery in Egypt. They're in the wilderness, but they're on their way somewhere when God gives them the moral law, they're on their way to the promised land. They're living in a tension of a now and not yet. They're free, but they're not yet home. And in that place, God gives them the moral law. In effect, God was saying to them, you're free. This is how to live in and enjoy and make the most of your freedom." Can you see any parallels there? (laughs) Their freedom from slavery in Egypt was a, a foreshadowing of the much greater freedom from slavery to sin that Jesus would accomplish for his people, for all who trust in him. If your hope is in Jesus, he has freed you from slavery to sin and just like they lived in the tension of the now and not yet of being free but not home yet the promised land to which they were headed was a picture of the new heavens and the new earth of our eternal home with God to which we look forward as Christians we like them live in the tension of a now and not yet free Freed from slavery to sin and and headed for our eternal home. We're not there yet, we're free, but not home yet. In that respect. And so in many regards, God's word to us is, is no different than it was to them. If you're in Christ, you're free. Here's how to enjoy that freedom to live the good life. The moral law is good for us. It's good for those around us too. When we live it out, it brings glory to God, who gave it for our benefit. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. This isn't legalism. I want to help us see why. So we've got to draw this distinction because I think we can so instinctively kind of like oh, recoil about talk of the law and of living out the law that I think we do need to to really work this through together. See, legalism says, I have to do these things in order to be accepted by God. Legalism says, I have to uphold the law in order to earn his approval, to earn my salvation. That's legalism. Okay? Okay. So legalism views the law as a way of earning relationship with God. That's wrong. That's horrid. It doesn't work and it's not true. It leads to condemnation or pride. Condemnation when we fall short, or pride when we think we're doing well. And neither is a good place to end up. No. Our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We can't earn it. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God, every last one. Scripture is very clear on that fact. All of us need forgiveness. All of us need a saviour. But Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law lived in perfect obedience to the Father, and at the cross he offered his perfect record in exchange for our lawless brokenness. So I, I, I take it. That's grace. But being serious about the moral law of God isn't legalism. It isn't opposed to grace, actually it's an appropriate response to grace it's not legalistic to say because I'm loved because I'm saved let me walk in this way because I've experienced your kindness towards me and I I know that you want what's best for me and you know what's best for me then I want to live life the way you designed me to, God. I want to follow your law. That's wisdom. It's not legalism. That's wisdom. It's grace-empowered, love-motivated wisdom, and that's the picture we find in Scripture. There's loads of places we could go to see it. In, In John 14, Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, you will obey my commands. He's not saying, like, prove your love for me by obeying my commands. He's like, this will be a natural overflow of your love. If you've experienced my grace, if you know my love for you, and your response is love, then that will find its way out in the way you live. There'll be a desire to live in a God-honoring way. Psalm 40 just for the service, we were praying, and Darren prayed this out. We find in Psalm 40, from verse 6, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted. It's a prayer to God. But you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. It's interesting. How do you come into relationship with god it's, it's it's not by fulfilling the law it's not by sacrifices or burnt offerings that you draw close but does that mean you then go okay cool leave it no I delight to do your will oh my god in response your law is written within my heart in titus 2 we find this from titus two, eleven for the grace of god has appeared bringing salvation for all people doing what to those who are saved training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in the present age in other words to live in accordance with this (laughs) to understand and apply the moral law in our lives that's what happens grace of god appears to us in salvation. And what does it do? In some translations it says it trains us in righteousness. Or teaches us to say no to sin. Teaches us to obey the law. Christians are freed from obeying the law as a way of trying to earn God's favour. Right? You, you need to hear that. I hope you know that. If you haven't heard that, you, you need to hear that, okay? You cannot earn God's favor by rule-keeping, and you won't. It leads to condemnation or pride. That's not the answer. You're freed from the law as a way of trying to win God's favor. But because you have received God's favor, the, the natural response is actually to want to live according to the law to be zealous for good works, to honour God. That's what it says in Titus 2. If you carry on, yeah, live upright and holy lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing and glory of our great Saviour, God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, says Christ's return, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The, the picture we find in Titus 2 is People who are saved say no to unrighteousness and are zealous for good works. They want to please God. Take lying as an example. You can do this with anything that we're tempted to do that goes against the moral law of God. See, grace-given freedom means that I don't have to fear I'll be rejected by God if I lie. Because my standing before him isn't based on my performance or my works, but on what Christ Jesus has done on my behalf. So, my grace-given freedom means I don't have to fear being rejected by God if I lie. If you're trying to win God's favour by being perfectly honest at all times, if you think, I've got to fulfil the law to please God, then you'll be absolutely devastated if you do lie because you'll have failed you'll feel condemnation however the gospel of Jesus gives us assurance that dishonesty won't condemn us interesting but it's helpful to consider why do I want to lie? we lie Because we believe that we need what we might lose if we tell the truth. i say that again. This is why people are deceitful. We lie because we believe we need what we might lose if we tell the truth. If you feel you need approval, power or success to know joy or to feel valued, then you'll lie to get it and you'll lie to keep it. And we see that. But if you know the gospel, if you've allowed it to take root in your heart, then you'll be secure in the truth that you're valued and approved of by God. And you won't feel the need to lie. It frees us from that felt need. You'll instead say, hey, I can tell the truth. If I lied, it wouldn't actually change my standing before God amazingly because Christ has paid. But there's no need to lie. Why would I want to? Deceit destroys trust in relationships and just gets you into a mess. And when we understand the grace of God, we're freed from the felt need to do it. It's good isn't it so we can live out the moral law not to lie to be deceitful see true freedom is found in living the way we're designed but we're only actually able to do that when we've experienced the grace of god When we've experienced the grace of God, we're able to obey the law, not as a way of trying to earn God's approval, but as a way of enjoying the freedom which he has provided for us, acknowledging that he knows best. Love-compelled, spirit-enabled obedience to the law of God is life-giving. It is. Anything less, actually, is settling for less than God has for you. The good life is found in obedience to the moral law of God. Not trying to get in his good books, but enjoying life as he designed it. And so we don't fear the judgment of God when we fail to perfectly live out the moral law of God. Because there's forgiveness in Jesus. But we also shouldn't disregard it as irrelevant Because this path that God has laid before us to walk in is part of his very good provision for us. That's grace. And we'd be absolutely crazy to ignore it. That's why we're going to spend time looking at it in detail together over the coming weeks. This is a conversation we've had over time as a team that sometimes um, I can feel very acutely I can feel very passionate when we talk about living in obedience to God together in a way that could be perceived as kind of heavy by people but that's not where I'm up to I feel it acutely because I want the best for you. And I see in Scripture that the best is grace compelled obedience to the law of God. It's so easy to, to settle for compromise in our lives, it's, it's so easy to excuse sin because we're forgiven. It's so easy to, to kind of go, hey, I, like, I'm not even sure I know what God's law teaches. And I get it. It is easy to do that. But I don't want us to settle there. I want us to be a people who understand that God has more for us that he's graciously given us in his word. These words of life that show us how we're designed to live, that show us what true freedom really is, that show us what the good life actually looks like. Don't settle for what advertisers tell you the good life is. I want to encourage you to take his word seriously, to say, God, I thank you for the wisdom here. I thank you you've laid this out for us. Would you help me to live it out? And and I thank you that actually there's forgiveness when I don't manage to do that perfectly. There's freedom. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to come and take communion together before we finish this afternoon. Jesus, I thank you that you perfectly fulfilled the law on my behalf. Lord, that when I come and I, I read your word and, and like the picture you give us in, in James, it, it's like a mirror and I look in it and I see my reflection and I realize all the ways in which I don't measure up to your perfect standard. I thank you, Jesus, that that experience doesn't lead to condemnation. But instead, it leads me to a place of rejoicing and celebrating (laughs) that you perfectly lived out the law on my behalf and your spotless righteousness, your perfect record has been given to me just as though it were my own. (laughs) Lord, I pray you'd help that truth to sink into our hearts this afternoon. As we come in a moment to share communion together, Lord, I pray that you would Help us to understand again what you accomplished for us at the cross. But I pray too that you would help us to understand that you you didn't then free us to continue pursuing the good life as advertisers want to sell it to us. You didn't free us for us to kind of muddle around trying to work out what we're supposed to do. You didn't free us for us to desperately want to try and run into the road. Jesus, you've freed us and Lord, you've showed us what it looks like to live in and enjoy that freedom. Well, I pray that you'd settle those those two realities in our hearts this afternoon actually your law and the gospel of grace are not in opposition to one another. Actually, it's all your grace. It's all your gift to us. I pray that you would help us to delight in and enjoy it together. Lord, will you settle it in our hearts for your glory. Amen.